0: On the bug front, when it comes to mosquitoes, so far, so good this season. But, what's the deal with these giant beetles? What are they? Where do they come from? And is it going to hurt if they bite? Meta, that's the company that owns Facebook and Instagram. They're now officially blocking some Canadian news sites. Should we be concerned? On the curling front, we learned about an event coming this fall called the Bob Pickin' Curling Classic. And today we continue the discussion on how some businesses are struggling to pick up seasonal staff. So that triggered a conversation about if you could pick a part-time job just for fun, what would it be? I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, June 14th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and indeed 10 degrees. I was kind of taken aback by how cool it was when I exited my building this morning, and I don't know if that has to do with the smoke that blew through yesterday or the north wind or what, but uh, as far as that smoke goes, yesterday was, was my imagination, it imagination was yesterday like one of the worst days we've had.
1: This spring, for sure, uh, maybe not ever, but certainly in this in this handful of weeks that the wildfires have been an issue across the country. It it, it was very impactful almost from the get-go yesterday, at least visually. And then when I got outside yesterday afternoon, I noticed it big time. And around supper time, Loren, I, you know, I accidentally left one of the windows open in the house, even though it was 30 degrees. And I'm like, what is that smell? That's the smoke from outside.
2: Yeah, it was crazy how it just sort of it came in like it swirled right in. We were outside just playing with the soccer ball and in the front yard, just, you know, having some fun with the kids and all of a sudden it just sort of was like a slap and you thought, huh, now it feels, and it wasn't like it was hard, you know, we don't have breathing difficulties in, or situations in like that with our family, but it felt very much like I shouldn't be doing activity, <laughs> like hard activity out here because of how thick it felt kind of quite quickly.
0: Yeah, it was an interesting day. So I guess let us know at 204-780-6868 if it affected you. Uh, We can can tell you that all the uh, smoke uh, air special quality statements have ended in Manitoba for now, but we are surrounded by them Uh, just looking at the map on Environment Canada's website also today one of the things we're going to be discussing sort of continuing Loren the conversation the discussion that happened throughout yesterday involving a lot of businesses having trouble finding summer
2: staff. Yeah, I mean, this has been a challenge for what feels like years now in terms of talking about the challenge to find good labor, uh, labor that's going to stick around. But of course, as you enter summer months, you've got all sorts of businesses that have to ramp up what they do, or perhaps they are only seasonal and they only operate in the summer. You know, your different fairs, your uh, your community groups, your Field houses, your baseball diamonds and all the rest, they really get going in the summer, your golf courses. And we're hearing from some that they just can't find the people to work in them. And those are traditionally, I would say, traditionally jobs that are filled largely by students uh, whether it be high school or university kids and so I don't know there's not a shortage of kids out there Greg but maybe there's just a shortage of people who are working or they've just found jobs elsewhere but we know it's been a struggle for a while and it feels like it's really exacerbated this year.
1: Yeah well I was on Indeed with uh, one of my boys last night who's still looking for a job he's had you know he's been told to go here because they're hiring go there because they're hiring and You know, inevitably he's he's told something different or or maybe he's not making the first impression that he makes on me every morning. And when I see him, uh, maybe his first impression isn't gaining him any uh, any interviews, but he's he's had one interview, but he's dropped off close to a dozen resumes. He's submitted a bunch more online. and it's funny because it feels as though we're hearing about, and I'd be interested to hear from others with with kids that are looking for jobs, young people in their lives that are looking for jobs. It feels like we're hearing about, this shortage of workers, yet there doesn't seem to be a clamoring to get in touch and to uh, to to have that interview. So I'm just wondering, is it my kid or is it an overall response thing in in terms of uh getting in front of somebody to get that interview? Because so often, Brett, I think that's just the key. How often have you said in your life, I just need the interview? I just need to get in front of somebody. I can convince them that 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 I can do this job. Uh, personally,
0: I've never said that because I, am the kind of guy who botches that component. (laughs) At least when I was a younger man or younger person, like when I was, I've told this story before, but when I was looking for my first job, I was 15 and Perkins, uh, in Transcona was, which is gone now, but it was holding an open house, just an open job fair. Just come on down. We'll bring your resume. We'll have a chat. And he, the guy asked me, what do you think is your biggest flaw? And I I sort of sat there and thought, well, I think I sometimes have a problem with authority. (laughs) And then (laughs) he looked at me funny, raised an eyebrow, and I realized what I had said. And I just said, all right, well, thank you for your time. And I got (laughs) up and walked away because... You're not he's not gonna hire somebody like that.
1: Okay, so you're not the best example no. <laughs> no. in terms of that. What about you, Loren? In terms of in terms of the idea. Like, like you just need to get in front of somebody and i uh, you know, I can uh, probably talk my way into this.
2: I know I have got jobs because of, of the interview. Not because the interview was good. In per se, I sometimes just think it's timing, right? Like that person in that moment is saying you walk in and you've you've had your You've had it in your resume and they take a look at it. And I've actually, you know, I remember someone saying this is actually, you don't have what we're looking for, but I like your attitude or, you know, like that right. kind of thing. And next thing you know, you're working and then you're terrified because you think they just they just literally said, I don't deserve to be here, but here I am. And you're nervous, but it happens. It's, it's, I do think some of it is about the qualifications. Some of it's about the connection that you might make in that interview or you walk in and in that moment, that is the last straw for that company or that business. They're like, I need someone now. I can't delay anymore. I can't delay anymore making decisions. Can you start Monday? You know, that kind of thing. And boom, you're in. So I do think that that makes a big difference for sure.
0: So we'll have more to discuss on this at 6.37. We'll hear from Global's Rosanna Hempel on some of the businesses struggling to hire young workers this summer. And then at 7.05, usually we're talking mosquitoes. So far, so good. But we are noticing, and it's not just anecdotal, we're noticing more Giant beetles, Lorenzo. We're going to learn what the heck these things are.
2: Yeah, we have an entomologist at the University of Manitoba. He's an instructor in the Department of Entomology. And he also helps run what's known as the bug line at the U of M uh, in years past. And so that's where people might call in and say, I've got this thing in my yard. Or I'm going to send you a picture. And they don't know what it is. And so, of course, mosquitoes, as you said, good news. They're not a problem. Knock on wood. I'm trying to find some wood. Knock on wood right now because you're not noticing them. But tent caterpillars are out. And then... um Jordan is going to join us at 707 and share with us about how they are getting some questions about these big beetles that people are seeing. Because if you haven't seen them before, and uh, I'm going to try to see if I can get a picture up on one of my social medias, but just this idea that, you know, when you run into a creature and you think, what is that? And I think bugs are often of it. You think you've never seen, I've never seen that before. And they've got these big antlers and these big legs. And you think this cannot be like from Manitoba. It must have flown in from like Siberia. There's no way this is part of this province, but they are. So we're going to learn more about beetles. Do you know the name of the one we're talking about, Greg?
0: Spruce beetle. Yes. Yeah, is it spruce I,
2: I, though? But what's it, is that its actual name? Or is it just what we call it? I want you to know, like, the Indicatus Maximus, or whatever its Latin name is. Wiley
1: Coyoteus. <laughs> I, I have no idea uh, the Latin the term. Indedronctinus
2: <laughs> penis. Oh, sure. I, I hear the
1: music playing, but I really want to send a shout out to those long suffering Vegas Golden Knights fans who finally won a Stanley Cup after all these years last <laughs> night. Oh, my heart was really breaking for How you. How many years? Six whole years oh of existence. That's a, quite the drought. Oh, what a drought. It's finally over. Vegas Golden Knight fans, you can you can be relieved.
0: Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb on the subject of businesses having a tough time. Finding some businesses having a tough time. Finding seasonal workers for the summer. We have a question for you, Loren. It was one that you came up with when we were wondering, what can we talk about when it comes to uh, those part-time jobs?
2: Well, we've all had a part-time job, a summer job, some that you've loved, perhaps some that you've hated. And I was curious if you were out there right now, like, you know, every once in a while, I think about retirement or what I'm going to do and and would I really stop working? And would it be more fun to maybe pick up a part-time job somewhere? So is there that job where you've, you know, you stand in the coffee line and you look at the barista and you think, that seems fun. Or you're at the bar, and you watch the bartender wipe down the counter and get your shots or whatever it is you're having, and you think, I'd like to do that someday. Is there a part-time job that you actually would like to have? Not, not for money, not for whatever, but just because it kind of looks neat.
0: 204-780-6868. We've got Dogman, the musical tickets, up for grabs. We're going to pick a winner at 9.15. And Loren, actually, that would have been mine. Uh, at least it's, a, it's one that I wish I had tried once upon a time, and that's bartender. Because, I mean, I know people, my buddy used to date a woman who was a bartender at a night, one of those Canada Inn's nightclubs. Not long ago, in the last 10 years, she worked two days a week, Saturday or Friday, Saturday. She made $1,000 a night. And that's it. That's That was her job. So it wasn't her, her part-time job, so to speak, was she was making more than Most of us make in our, way more than most
1: of us make in our full-time jobs. One of my good friends just retired as a bartender. He was a bartender at the Roxy in Vancouver, one of the more popular nightclubs in Vancouver. He worked the back bar for 25 years. He worked there. He's a successful artist, pays his bills, most of his bills that way. But Thursday, Friday, Saturday night for 25 years, he just retired from that job. And it's allowed him a, a level of income and a lifestyle that he couldn't possibly have any other way living in Vancouver. And he's like retired, retired yeah, from bartending. OK. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So bartender would have been my pick uh, for Poitras. What about you?
3: Uh, you know, I, I, I did it. But I when I was a kid, but I wish I would have cared more. Um, I was I worked at McDonald's. <laughs> But now it's like, I don't know, maybe it's like a romantic thing, but like working, maybe it's my love of SpongeBob, too, as well, Uh, like working as a fry cook. Like, I don't know, I just I just really I think it's really cool. Like, I'd love to at one point own uh, or, you know, work at a, a, a place that just does burgers and hot dogs and fries and keep it simple and just serve that in something that everybody loves and everybody wants and. I don't know. There's something I don't know. I, maybe I've romanticized it a bit. I'm, I I know it's a lot of hard work, but it's just something that that really is is been very very intriguing to me. I love to cook and I love, you know, the, that kind of food and stuff like that. So,
0: not bad. Not yeah. bad. I was looking at uh, some sort of french fries thing online and it was uh, it was fries and pickles, Greg. <laughs> it was like a fry and pickle poutine, so I thought of you, but there was a lot of care being put into the 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 order.
3: Yeah yeah just taking care of just something something that like listen i'd never be a five star chef or anything like that but that's something i think I could perfect and, and put a lot of love into, I think.
2: Mm,
0: there yes. you go. Sarah McCarthy, what about you?
4: Well, Rem mentioned mine barista. I love coffee, I love tea, and I think making the little cute, fancy designs on top of those coffees when you go in, and just chit-chatting with the barista, I always try to make time to do that, too, and they're always so nice, and again, have mad respect for what they do, and um, That's yeah. That's a hard job. It's a hard job. job. Yeah, Deal do, with a lot of people. You ever see, like,
3: on TikTok or whatever, uh, and mm-hmm. you've probably seen, like, when they make the <laughs> Coffee and it yeah. comes it, like it drips and it's the whole process and like yes.
2: clip I don't that's know that's so what it's satisfying all called, to it's, me it's, so it's, I would yeah, like that it's pretty cool. mm-hmm.
3: and then but
0: you'd have to make sure that your uh, name spelling ability yes. is garbage
2: <laughs> yes.
0: Absolutely, Brett B R I T. Well, Greg, I think you yeah. shared a meme the other day. Was, I uh, told them my name is Mark with a C, <laughs> so they put they they spelled his name Kark. <laughs>
5: <laughs> One of the best memes I've seen
1: in a long time. <laughs> uh, I, I picked up some pizza from Domino's the other night, and uh, they've got that digital scoreboard right where they tell you where your order is at, and uh, I was gray. I'm looking for my name. I'm like, oh, I must be gray. <laughs> like, Is that my hair color? Like, where'd that come from?
0: <laughs> well, we did, no, Greg, you were telling me that you found a rather unique job that young people in Manitoba can apply for.
1: Yeah. It, it, it's basically being a narc. <laughs> you can work for liquor, gaming, and alcohol, and you can go in as a young person. If you're between 16 and 18 and you go in and you try and buy these things and see if, all these licensed establishments are following the rules, asking for ID and all this different stuff. Get,
0: does it also include liquor stores? Because if you don't
1: have the the appropriate ID, you can't even get it. Can't in. even get. So it must be restaurants, right? Okay. Restaurants oh, wow. and stuff. Sit down. Cannabis. See, see if you eat cannabis, yeah. See if you can uh, play the, the VLTs at a variety oh. of places, that sort of stuff. Sit down. See if you can order a cocktail without being oh. ID'd. Yeah, this is a job. I don't know. I could probably still get away with that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you probably could, Jeff. Producer Forte and Master Control, what would
3: yours be, Jeff? You know I think I would like to be a lifeguard, you yeah. know, hanging out in the summertime, getting that tan on, practicing my Baywatch run, mm-hmm. you know, I think it'd be a great gig. but.
2: Uh, but well, then, like, when I really think about, like, the actually like trying to save someone, like, mm-hmm. would I be able to do that? I think that'd be the hard part. But I think it'd be a sweet That's the job, only part. Though. That's
3: the only part. <laughs> yeah. Well, I <yeah>, well. <laughs> guess so. <wait. laughs> it's right there in the name. You are
0: guarding yeah.
2: life.
0: Uh, Lorraine, what about you?
2: I think the lifeguard would be fun, except for, like, if it was at a casual space, but on a beach that's crowded, I'd, or like those pools. Like, have you ever been to one of the city pools in the summer and it's a am with people and you just think, like, this is an amazing impossible task that sounds stressful and I I used to think camp counselor would be fun but like you're responsible for all these little lives so I'm gonna pick the job that one of our uh, bosses had in the summer and that's like the beer cart girl on the golf course Mm. you're still outside you're still in the fresh air but you're under the shaded cart you probably run into all sorts of like really interesting individuals at certain points in the day conversation would be good but brief because you got to keep moving you get to deal with all
0: kinds of misogyny
2: Yes, that would be that would be the problem. Yeah, good point. Mm. I don't know like if I go back at it at 70 years old am I going to have the same situation? I don't know. Just brawless with no with a tank top on and just with my like visor, my Vegas visor, you know? I don't know. I just think there's there's jobs I like the socialization. Like I like the serving and the bartending yeah. as long as I don't have to care about it. Like it means nothing. That's at why a I was point. a
1: horrible bartender. I just wanted to talk to all the customers. Make, oh, your, really? make your own drinks. <laughs> You'd be good in a in like a casual lounge setting. I bet. Oh, oh, I just go around visit people and annoy them. Yeah, that's that's what I would do. I'd, I'd, yeah, work. What's that?
0: 204-780-6868. If you could pick a part time job. Which one would it be just for fun, curiosity, or is there a part-time job you wish you had tried your hand at in your younger days? And I, hey, there's it's never too late If you could pick a part-time job, what would it be? Either out of fun, curiosity, or maybe there's a part-time job you wish you had tried your hand at. Greg, what does Shane say? Shane's thinking about
1: retirement starter at a golf course in Lake Country, no doubt.
0: That's a good one. The, the, the starters out in uh, Granite Hills, for example, in Lactobonnie, they run a tight ship What out is that? There. It's the person that meets you at the first tee box. And kind of if there are some club rules you need to know, they they run through the rules and then they tell you when it's okay you can go now. Like they sort of wait until it's the the right time because some gatekeeper of the course. Pretty much. Yeah. Like at a busy course, especially in Lake Country, the way they have to run things on time. But they also want to make sure that you don't jump the gun and go too early because it might not be safe to hit depending on the because the first tee box at Granite Hills is kind of a blind shot uh, so that you have to wait until they let you go. Before you you open
1: fire, uh, but yeah, so that be that'd be a great job too. Uh, starter marshal. I know somebody who does a marshaling somewhere, and it's more like a volunteer. Yeah. It's uh, Jackie's uncle does it in Alberta, so he volunteers like I think it's three days a week, and then he gets to golf there free.
0: Yeah, the the marshal is the person who rides around the golf course just to make sure everybody's, you know, staying on time and not goofing off and getting into trouble and et cetera, taking care of the golf course. So, yeah, that'd be a good one, too. So your part-time job that you could pick, what would it be? Tell us what it is, and we'll pick a winner at 9.15. It's early days, so we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But so far, there's really not much to complain about on the mosquito front.
2: Yeah, but our next guest says he has been hearing about a couple of other pests that might be cause for consternation. We're joined now by Jordan Bannerman, who is an instructor of entomology at the University of Manitoba and also helps run the bug line, which is a call in service for locals to ask questions about pests. Good morning, Jordan. Good morning. I'm not sure if that bug line is still in operation. I know you were part of it a few years ago. Uh, do you still get, do you still have it running? And and what are the calls about if you do?
6: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have the bug line running, so you can contact it by phone, by email, uh, by drop-in as well. Even in the department, so any kind of insect questions that folks have from from Winnipeg or from you know Manitoba are welcome to, to you know, ask their questions. Uh, we hear all manner of things. It kind of changes seasonally. Uh, this time of year, we're, uh or this past couple of weeks in particular. I've been hearing a lot about uh, the caterpillars munching on our trees and uh, some big black beetles that people are seeing.
1: So talk about the caterpillars first. We love our trees, but they, there is a little bit of a trade-off there, right, Jordan? Because uh, these trees do invite other critters to come and make uh, ecosystems in and around them. Yeah,
6: they absolutely do. Most of the uh, deciduous trees that we plant here in Winnipeg uh, are uh, Good trees for a variety of species of caterpillars. Uh, most people who've lived in Winnipeg for any any number of years are kind of, kind of well-versed with some of them. Uh, the ones that we're most used to uh, are called canker worms. Uh, so these are kind of greenish to medium brown caterpillars that munch on our elms, oaks, ash, uh, and pretty much the rest of the deciduous trees as well. Uh, This year, uh, at least in in, uh, quite a few of the communities, there's a second caterpillar called the elm spanworm uh, that is the culprit that is doing a lot of the the chewing, the munching on the leaves, uh, to the point where some trees, I know I'm in St. Patel, they have no leaves on them, um, and that's entirely driven by these guys.
0: And is that the gross look? I mean, they're, they're all gross when you got to walk under a tree that's got all these worms hanging down. But is the elm spanworm the one that look, that's a bit darker and it's got, it looks it almost looks like a twig, and then you realize no, that's not a twig, that's a bug.
6: Yeah, the elm spanworm is the the really dark brown one with kind of the orangey head. Um, the canker worms and the elm spanworm both kind of have very similar behavior. They will um, uh, hang down on that string of silk that you inevitably walk into as you're walking around the neighborhood uh not the most enjoyable thing
2: so they're all gross that's the conclusion there jordan (laughs) so let's let's talk about the beetle because you had mentioned getting some calls about that and i've seen a few of these around and and like lots of critters or creatures things are cyclical so is this does does the spruce beetle show up this time of year or are some years worse than other talk tell us about it
6: yeah so the spruce beetle uh is something that most people, I think, if you spend any time in the white shell or northern Ontario, are are very well versed with. There's a big black beetle with a very long antennae. Um, but uh, for the past couple of weeks, uh, we, I've had uh, half a half dozen bug line calls, and I myself have been seeing them pretty much everywhere I go uh, around uh, Winnipeg. Uh, they actually are pretty active as adults, kind of from June right through to August. So I don't really know the The reason why we're seeing quite so many right now and particularly so many in winnipeg when it's not really kind of the the spot that you most envision seeing them
1: jordan what about mosquitoes we haven't had a ton of conversation about mosquitoes yet is this a combination of larviciding and the lack of precipitation is it more the lack of precipitation uh why aren't i uh slapping very much these days
6: well Uh, The spring was a little unusual this year. So uh, it was a very cool start to the spring. And I think that really let the city crews get a really good head start on the larval control programs, which is kind of fundamental to to keeping them in check. Uh, And then uh, after that, it got really hot and there hasn't been, you know, a huge amount of precipitation. And that heat's dried out a lot of those breeding sites, and, and we continue to have uh, relatively low uh, mosquito numbers, uh, trap counts through the city, which is which is great considering we're already into mid-June.
0: Before we let you go, I and mean, we're getting uh, Bill in St. James says, was it just overnight in Pinoa and the mosquitoes were nuts last night, so that's something to keep an eye on. Just a quick question about these spruce beetles. Do they bite?
6: They can bite. And it is very painful. Um, these these beetles are capable of chewing right through the trunk of a hardwood tree, um, so they're they're ones that you don't want to handle.
0: And is it, it, do, do they are they like will they uh, bite you unprovoked or is it one of those things where they like they'll leave you alone unless you attack them?
6: Yeah, they're yeah they're they're not looking to bite you is the best way that I could say it. They are pretty clumsy flyers. So they do kind of end up in in weird places. Um, if one does fly onto you, the best thing to do is to not panic, not try to swat it or grab it or anything, uh, and just leave it be.
0: Okay, Jordan Bannerman, instructor of entomology at the University of Manitoba. Thank you very much for joining us, sir, to talk about bugs in the bug line. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It is 7:14. Macklin McGarry McNabb and I was uh last week. I was at a golf course and was getting swarmed by aphids. Um, that was last week. My buddy played the course. It was larders, and he says the bugs were fine yesterday. But uh, yeah, the aphids are out too, and I'm already noticing the the the
1: droppings under the trees. Yay, bugs! Like I say, I love our trees. It's uh, one of the best things about Winnipeg. But it there's a trade off, right? Comes at a cost.
0: <laughs> Everything has a cost. It is Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. We have coming up in our next segment, the latest winner for Flippin' Awesome Dads, $500 gift card from Lux Barbecue Company up for grabs. We also have our 755 hockey report. And Paul Edmonds has a couple of things to say about this situation with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Connor Hellebuck. Also, we are asking you at 204-780-6868, if you could pick a part-time job for fun, what would it be? And Bonnie says, my part time job would be the train driver at Tinkertown. It's <laughs> so my Excellent. dream retirement job. I'll be the crazy old grandma playing the part and embarrassing my grandkids when they come to Tinkertown.
1: <laughs> it's great. Tinkertown did say yesterday they're not fully staffed. I, the numbers I heard was that they need something like 200 people and they've only got 70 or something at this point. So, yeah, that'd be a great, that'd be a fun place to work. You'd be great in the
0: train as well, Loren. Leading I that like, train.
2: Oh yeah, just and I could be. I could depending on like you know, personality changes. You could be the fun one one day, and then just ruthless the next. Like get on, get off. You're out of here. No ticket for you. <laughs> some poor like, four year <laughs> old crying. No. I don't like the cut of your jib. Life is
0: pain, kid. Just get used to it. (laughs) Come to Tinkertown. Okay. I've never had an experience like that at Tinkertown. (laughs) Just uh, to be clear. Just to be clear. Me too.
2: I took the kids there not long ago, a couple summers ago, and it was fantastic. I only wish – I actually squeezed on that train. I should send you guys photos. I tucked myself in there with the kids. It was awesome. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, so tell us your part-time job that you could pick for a chance to win those Dogman the musical tickets. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. If you often get your news through your Facebook or Instagram feeds, you might notice something different this morning.
2: So there are some French language media organizations and some smaller local media outlets saying that they're being targeted by Meta after the digital giant restricted access to their content on Facebook and Instagram. And this is part of its fight against the Liberal government's online news bill. So Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, he calls it an attack on Canada's democracy, basically calling it bullying. Well, Facebook, the group that owns Facebook, they obviously feel differently, Greg.
1: Yeah, so for more on this, we're joined by Amy Morrison, an associate professor of English at the University of Waterloo with a focus on digital media literacy. Amy, good morning. Good morning. So before we get into what MED is up to, what is it that the Canadian government is up to? What is it that they're trying to do with this, this bill?
4: Well, Canadian journalism is in a bit of a revenue crisis. Um, which is to say the bottom has fallen out of the printed newspaper market, which had generated for a long time most of its revenue from things like classified um, and large print advertisements. Um, and when those institutes went digital, it was sort of the same model, but there's a lot less money in online advertising than there is in print advertising, even when you go directly to, say, a newspaper or a broadcaster's website. Um, then what started happening in the social media era then was that people were not even going, like, let's say, to um, uh, to the Kitchener-Waterloo Record website anymore. They were seeing stories from that newspaper um, through Facebook, where Facebook was running ads against the news content that was appearing there, so that it was uh, an intermediary, one more step in between the news story and the revenue for the publisher. So for every story published, even if it was getting more and more views, if those views were coming online instead of in print, or if they were coming through Facebook instead of a publisher's own page, the amount of advertising coming back, advertising money going back to that publisher to pay to produce that journalism was going down and down and down, and new agents like Facebook or Instagram or Google were collecting advertising revenue for surfacing this news content themselves, and so that's, we can't afford to do journalism like this for very much longer, that's the problem we're trying to solve.
2: Oh, sorry, Amy. In trying to solve that problem, I just had some mic issues there. Uh, we've had this sort of back and forth going on. And at the end of the day, we now have um, Facebook saying that they're going to try to control how this, what they put on their feed. And so they weren't going to start doing this. They're, they say they're going to test this. Is this a long-term, is this sort of like a scare tactic? Like, what's this? what are we supposed to read into this?
4: Sure, this is a scare tactic because Facebook, um, as it was then known before it became meta, um, pulled the same stunt in Australia, where in, in 2021 the Australian government proposed a very similar bill to what is being proposed in Canada. Um, and it, it's not saying you cannot, Facebook cannot show these, sites it's saying you must enter into a revenue agreement with the publishers of these sites in order to do that and Facebook was like oh we're not allowed to do news anymore we're just not going to show any news and they also took down some government pages as well to sort of say if your um, viewers or potential readers are not going to see this information on Facebook they're not going to see it at all Right? And, and so it's not being proposed that the content be removed, but um, Facebook or Meta is removing this content to make a point about how central it is um, to news consumption. And it's also aiming to generate um, anger and fear among people who would normally consume their media that way, who they're encouraging to think of like, oh, no, this bill will mean I can't get my news on Facebook Anymore, which absolutely isn't true, but that's a line that Facebook would like everyday users. The 24 million Canadians who use Facebook would like them to think that the government is trying to take news off of Facebook, which is not the case.
0: Is Facebook being a bully here?
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So what they're they're mostly demonstrating um, when they uh, block news access, news content access to Canadians, is they are showing actually how deeply embedded they are. Um, in this news media ecosystem. And they're also showing how our access to this news media is largely now controlled by one company. So when they pull a stunt like this, they're mostly making the case that they need to be regulated, not that they need to be left alone.
1: I mean, this baffles me somewhat because you know, Meta pays uh for content, mm-hmm. for people to create content, as does YouTube and mm-hmm. and and other websites. So, why is it that they're prepared to pay for some content but not for
4: other content? Right. Well, there, there's a power imbalance in the marketplace, right? So that arguably um, the news media currently depends on the social media ecosystem for reach um, to achieve um, readership and viewership numbers. They would not be able to achieve otherwise and that puts facebook and the other social media platforms in a sort of dominant negotiating position in the same way that we might say like um, some workplaces benefit from having unions to address a, a power imbalance in between mm. um, workers and, and corporations that that control access so similarly here facebook can say we're just going to pull the plug on all of you and let's see how you do without this ecosystem which demonstrates their power there and it's mostly the larger companies that have been able to strike revenue-sharing deals with Facebook. And it's the smaller local publishers who really do not have the market clout to enter into uh, a fruitful negotiation for revenue-sharing right now.
2: So for those listening right now, Amy, you know what's the answer to the question, why should I care? I know why I care, not just as a journalist and someone who works for one of these companies, but as a consumer of news. It's driven me crazy for years how that if you access your news through your Facebook feed or your Instagram feed, it starts to curate stuff for you, right? And it it actually narrows your world. But if someone asks you the question, well, why do I care about this? What's your answer?
4: Well, it can narrow and and broaden your world, right? So you guys emailed me um, early yesterday evening about an interview this morning and I went to... To Google, right, and I, I searched for news stories, and Google was able to bring me news stories from all over the world and all over Canada, right, in, in a way that allows me to access media from all across Canada much faster than I ever ever could have before, and I'm more than willing to kick in some some money for that through whatever revenue-sharing agreement there is, because it's a great convenience to be able to access global news in this way. We have unimaginably more access than we used to, it's just... Only the companies that are producing the platforms for sharing and not paying for the production of the journalism are taking in the lion's share of revenue right now. So journalists are not being paid, but Facebook is being paid for this content currently, disproportionately to what they're putting into it. And that's, that's the problem. Everybody is making money except really the people who are putting in the legwork, the effort, the time, and the expense to produce the journalism that is so attractive to us to read, and we cannot continue to produce it unless more money goes back into that production.
0: And just before we let you go, you mentioned the stunt that was pulled in Australia. Is is that how it stayed out there, or or was that temporary?
4: No, No, that was temporary, right? And so now um, Australia, um, the publishers there have reached um, confidential commercial agreements with Facebook, and and Facebook stood down from that. And, And similarly, agreements have just been reached in the United Kingdom with publishers there, between publishers um, and Meta, very similar to what Canada is asking for here. And and Facebook is pushing back so hard against these agreements because while we may be small countries relative to the American market, there is some moves. For example, Senator Amy Klobuchar um, in the U.S. is looking at these legislations in, in Britain and Australia and Canada as models for something the U.S. might also look at, which is what Facebook does not want.
0: Amy Morrison, an Associate Professor of English at the University of Waterloo with a focus on digital media literacy. Always a pleasure, Amy. Thank you for your insight.
4: You're so welcome.
0: We invite you to listen to this insane story from Ecuador.
7: This next story is what nightmares are made of. A woman declared dead and placed inside a coffin after suffering a possible stroke woke up during her own wake it happened in ecuador on friday last week the 76 year old woman started knocking on her coffin giving family members a fright five hours into the service when they opened the lid they found out she was actually alive and breathing heavily a government investigation is now underway. The woman was taken back to hospital and is now in intensive care.
0: Can you imagine? Lisa Dutton put that perfectly. This is the stuff of nightmares, Loren.
2: It's the stuff of horror films. It's the stuff of, you know, daytime soap operas. It was the stuff of just, you could not believe. If you ever thought about it, that would just drive you... Just the thought of it, it has me breathing heavily from the claustrophobia of it all. But this poor family, I was reading more about it this morning. You know, again, she's presumed dead. She went to the hospital last Friday with a possible stroke and heart attack. She didn't respond to resuscitation, so they declared her dead. They put tags on her, like, you know, the toe tags to with her name to show that she, that she's gone. And then several days later, five hours into a funeral, there's a knock on the coffin. I mean what she was thinking, what her family was thinking. I mean, how close you get to the burial. I just, my mind was reeling when I heard about this story, Greg. Yeah, this is
1: something, like you say, uh, soap opera was exactly the first thing I thought of, but it also had me reconsidering perhaps what my plans are, my hopes and wishes are when I pass, you know, because uh, I don't want to take up too much space when I'm gone. So, you know, I'm going the cremation route, uh, this has me rethinking my my plans a little bit. You know, I know this. there's a chance that this is maybe, uh, the, the healthcare system might not be what it is in this part of Ecuador, as it is in Canada. So perhaps there are clearly mistakes made here. But my goodness, I can't even comprehend the panic, the notion. Uh, like i I have claustrophobia and the idea of waking up and coming around, becoming conscious inside of a coffin is absolutely horrifying to me.
0: Yeah, I think of uh, there's a scene in one of the Kill Bill movies where they 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 put someone in a wooden box and bury them, and I remember the sound uh, in the th- in the theater of them dropping the dirt onto this this box. It was it was the. Um, I can't remember her name, the The Black Mamba, was, or the was her snake, whatever, doesn't matter, it was Uma Thurman's character, and she eventually fought her way out, but the sound of the, the dirt coming crashing down onto that horrible, that ignited all the claustrophobia I might feel. There's an episode of CSI where one of the guys was buried alive, I think, in an episode directed by Tarantino, if I'm not mistaken, uh, so he really knows how to tap into that. I'd be curious to know what would it have been like for those at... Mm. The funeral to hear that sound, would it be fear? Would it be excitement or would it be panic? I don't know. Cause that would also be one of those things like, what is, what's going on inside there? Is that that's supposed to be someone who has died. I don't want to be hearing any sounds coming out of there. And yet, if it's a loved one,
1: what do you, what, how do you react to that? Well, you might be even trying to tell yourself, no, no, no. No, no, I'm just hearing things. Yeah. You might even resist the idea that that's even possible. So even though what's going on the inside there, Loren, those on the outside might be telling themselves that they're the only ones hearing this, that this couldn't possibly be a thing.
2: I, I just, I am, you know, I'm going, like, all our listeners who are weighing in about the idea of, of how this could happen. Also, the question about it, did they not embalm? in Ecuador, and then DJ texting to oh, say, uh, oh, oh, my God, locked inside a box or confined area of any sort. I think I would have a heart attack from from being in that situation. So there's just all sorts of questions. And again, to your point, Greg, you know, something happened here. Maybe you'd like to think that wouldn't happen uh, in Canada, but mistakes happen all the time in terms of uh, declarations, misidentification, that kind of stuff can happen. And so I just think about this poor woman going forward now and her family, like all the questions they'll be asking themselves, but also... Uh, they they took her back to the same hospital that she was declared dead in so I wouldn't love that either because uh, I was reading an article this morning that says she was rushed back to hospital uh, to the same location where this sort of all began and your faith and everything would just be completely shattered not to mention just trying to go to sleep again ever How how do you ever sleep again?
0: And I see that at globalnews.ca where you can read more on this story. This woman is not the only woman to be found alive after they were presumed dead. In February, there was a woman in Long Island, New York, Mm found to be still breathing in a funeral home after having been declared dead by doctors only hours before. So there you go, in New York. And then less than a week before that, a hospice patient in Iowa was discovered what? gasping for breath inside a body bag despite being presumed dead.
1: So this has nothing to do with geography or, you know, what sort of healthcare system might be in place here. The Iowa, New York, hello. Yes, yes, yeah.
2: that's crazy. Yeah, we can't blame it on some sort of uh, geography or uh, system where they don't have as much money or something like that in their hospital system. Yikes. Oh, uh, man.
1: And this woman in Ecuador is a retired nurse. Oh.
0: So maybe when she uh, is well enough, she'll have uh, given the
1: what's for. (laughs) You never know. (laughs) Wow. I hope she has a complete recovery and can uh, share her story at some point. My goodness.
0: So if you want to read this story at cjob.com or globalnews.ca, you can just Google woman declared dead, in quotes, found alive in coffin during her own wake. (laughs) It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb coming up later this half hour. We are giving away our latest prize pack for Let's Talk Turkey, a prize you can enter at cjob.com, courtesy of the Manitoba Turkey Producers. But right now we want to talk about mental health because Loren mentioned something yesterday that sort of caught me off guard. It shows that either I'm not paying attention enough or I'm just not asking enough questions of my friends and colleagues. But Loren says, Hey, Greg, do you need any prep time for your mental health seminar tomorrow? And I'm kind of scratching my head saying, mental
1: health. So I say to Greg, what's, a, what's this mental health seminar you're doing? Well, finally, an email came out doing a mental health uh, seminar with one of our colleagues in Ottawa for our chorus employees. It's, it's Men's Health Week, and we're going to focus on men's mental health. There are still a lot of questions uh, around our willingness, men's willingness to disclose their mental health status, to reach out for help and so the stigma exists you know for men with regard to masculinity questions and whether or not you know you can you can be a tough guy and still can be concerned about your mental health and about the way we've been raised and about the the issues surrounding our injuries that we sustain in sport and the whole idea of, you know, kiss it and uh, it'll make it better and then rub some mud on it, get back in there. All these different, different things. So we're going to continue that conversation internally, but this dovetails into some information we got earlier this week, Brett, about the fact that, that men are actually doing a better job at seeing a physician than women right now.
0: Yeah. The survey says, this is from November which uh, focuses on men's health later in the year, but they they share information with us through the year. And this new survey suggests a positive shift. They show that men are more proactive in managing their physical health, but they continue to struggle prioritizing mental wellness. So 80% of Canadian men have spoken with a healthcare practitioner in the last 12 months. One in two Canadian men say that they would book an appointment as soon as they notice a health issue. And nearly a third of women identified mental health as a top priority for the next 12 months. Only a quarter of men said the same.
2: And that's what's going on. uh, uh, First, on the physical side, what's going on that prevents people from going to the doctor? Is it just the time not asking, not worrying about it? I'm not saying you don't care. Right. But there's been surveys over the years that show traditionally women often call the doctor more than men uh, on the physical side. So what's 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 the reasoning why? not going to the doctor that they wait, they might wait years between visits.
0: Stubbornness. I think on, in some could be laziness could simply be fear. Yeah. I'm just, I'm like, I'm not basing this on what the scientists have found. I'm just sort of going off the top of my head. I know for me, laziness, I'm currently, I, I, I bashed my toe on Friday in a really weird way where I don't want to get too into it, but it, it it left me with a, with an odd injury, and I'm somewhat hobbled. It seems to be on the mend. Mackling said to me this morning, I think you might need to see a doctor. I'm not putting it off. I'm just... I'm. It's like I'm in a sort of wait-and-see kind of holding pattern, whereas if it... Because it looks like it's improving, but if it doesn't improve quickly enough, then I will get on the phone because I don't want, you know, my toe to fall off or something like that. But I'm not... It's not out of... Uh, for any sort of s- typical stubborn male thing, it's just... I'm, I don't want to... And then maybe that's another part of it. Maybe it, it comes down to, you know, you don't want to impose on the system when really, because I went for an appointment last year when I had my gout and I never experienced pain like that in my foot. I thought I hurt. I thought I broke my foot. Sure. Been there. So I went to the, uh, to the injury clinic on court. And naturally, as I'm walking down the hall to the doctor's office, it was the first time where, cause I was using my golf umbrella as a, as a makeshift cane and it was the first time all week where I could actually walk without the without the cane. Uh, so then, when I ex- described my symptoms, he said, "Yeah, you got gout," and then he left the room because uh, he was busy. He was he was clear. He was very busy. The clinic was full. It looked
1: like he was the only doctor in the building. And I felt like, well, I just wasted his time. You didn't waste his time, but I think that does come into it. And in the the years that I've done work with St. Boniface Hospital Foundation, Lorraine, it's in- interesting you talk about uh, men. Uh, delaying and and w- women are not ver- not always very good when it comes to certain parts of their health and women's health heart heart health. Sure. In particular, uh, there's some research that indicates that, you know, women are the caregivers in the family, and so there's that history. So we're, we're, we're not talking about the last five years. We're talking about historically the roles women have played within the family. Uh, they're, they're taking care of others. They're the caregivers and have traditionally been so, and so they put their own health concerns off to a great extent, so there are reasons I think in both you know for males and for females as to why they might not go to the doctor when they really should. And so now this highlight on, on mental health, we've had far too many conversations, uh, one in particular this week, where we know individuals are reaching out, they're clamoring, they're begging for assistance from the system. And I, one of the quotes that jumped out for me from Marion Willis in our conversation with her, her from uh, Street Links and Moorburg House is the idea that, that the system needs to be revamped. And then she sort of corrected herself and said, well, if there was a system to revamp, It needs revamping. And in a great number of situations, there is not an outlet, there are not resources for particular situations for particular addiction combined with mental health. And if they are available, they're incredibly difficult to access. I think and- that's
2: part of it. I, I I wonder now, you know, you talk about whether, forget gender aside, you know, yes. male, female, whatever, you're, you 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 put up your ass hand for help and there's no one there to help you. Or you know, it's going to be a long wait. So whether it's for your toe... Or for your mental health, you know, one of our listeners just texted texted now, one of the reasons they don't go is they don't have a family doctor. Sure. Or you don't want to wait at the hospital for a long time because you don't have a family doctor. So you say, you know what? You're just going to put up with it and hopefully it'll heal itself because you don't like the idea of the weight or you don't know the places to go like the Cordon Clinic. There's a, Kalo Cl- there's a bunch of different places I've been in the last few months that have taught me that I need to just do more research and figure out where to go. But then on that mental component, you might not even say I need help or I'm struggling because you've already just decided there's no one there that can help you. And that's truly sad to think I'm not even now shout or cry out because you know, like the whole proverbial tree falling in the forest, there's no one there to hear it.
1: Yeah. So the the one thing that I always emphasize and I'll say this every morning and every segment, if you gave me the opportunity, you'd get tired of hearing me say it, but I I don't get tired of saying it. So many people will hear these stories. They'll go, okay, that doesn't impact me necessarily. Or I know somebody often you get the question, well, what can I do? What can I do to help? Here's what you can do. You can demand that our politicians, our leaders, those in in healthcare make this a priority and not just, you know, health is health. And once we get to that realization and once that becomes our standard operating procedure when it comes to caring for one another and caring for ourselves, until we, it won't be until we get to that point that mental health will lose all its stigma. The next step we need, I think, the stigma is genuinely going away, but we need the resources because it takes a lot of strength. If you're suffering from addiction, if you're dealing with a mental health issue, and the, and the two are very often linked, uh, homelessness and mental health very strongly linked along with the addiction, right? There's a triad there. They're all very connected to one another. And if we want to solve the crime issues and the homelessness issues and the addictions and the mental health issues, then we need resources for those that are strong enough to ask for help. Plain and simple. That's what you can do. You can hold our leaders to account and ask them, where are these resources for those dealing with mental health issues? Yeah, the survey says... One quarter
0: of men said they would either wait over a year or not make an appointment at all if feelings arose, like being more agitated than usual or feeling more down than usual. And the survey also found that 75% of Canadians felt the men in their life were less likely than the women to share their mental health concerns. So that could be just linked to traditional male, I don't want to say values, but the way that men have have were brought were raised through the last few generations to behave you know suck it up
1: that's sort of toxic masculinity from the inside right yeah. that whole idea you don't even realize that it's impacting uh the way you react to a certain situation so yeah. I, i'm
2: actually reading this morning that um there's a study done by rutgers this the university of new jersey and the tougher you think you are in terms of that masculinity scale the more likely you are to downplay your issues as well. So even if you get through the door of any healthcare practitioner, you're not selling it, so to speak, the the way it really needs to be sold. I know we have
1: basically no time left here, but I'm going to encapsulate this in about 20 seconds. When I went through my, I had a, a very extensive situation in Alberta with an insurance company. Lawyers were involved. And one of my lawyers said to me once upon a time, Greg, This is stretching out too long because you don't look uh, enough like a victim. And I said, that's not the way I was raised, man. When I come and I have a meeting with somebody, I try to put on my best face, not my worst face. And I know I did it in therapy in my attempt to return to to normalcy. That I, that the, 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 the instinct was still first to put on a facade that, yeah, I'm doing better than I actually am. When the accusation from the outside looking in is that you're making it up or you're exaggerating, I can tell you 100%, most people are doing the exact opposite. Mm-hmm.
0: Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb are question of the day at cjob.com. By the way, from Mr. Furness, don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204 832 How did you enjoy your first summer job? Because we're talking about how businesses are, like seasonal businesses, are struggling to find either seasonal workers or student workers. And we are asking you this question, and so far the answers are, we got 51% who say loved it. Thirty-nine percent tolerated it. Nine percent hated it. So you can cast your vote at cjob.com. I never actually had just a summer job. I was going to
1: ask you if you had a summer job,
0: unless you count a paper route, because I took over a paper route for a summer. But I don't know. If that There's really no came.
2: chicken terries in Transcona.
0: Well, I just I, I like once I got a job, it was just a job. I just worked like Fair I enough. worked. I worked yes. through school. Uh, I, I had a seasonal job, but it wasn't a summer job. It was a. Um, it was a job that came to us at school and said, hey, the taxation center on Stapon is recruiting for they just they they need students to come in at in the evening or in the afternoon and evening and just sort returns. So I did that for two or three years, I think, through all of high school. We'd start in March. Yeah, that would, April. I, that would sort of count yeah we went in so we Time went years just a little different went from we'd go in from like four o'clock until like we just boot over there after school we'd be there until about eight o'clock every night like monday to friday and uh we just sort through tax returns because e-filing was you know, not we're, a was, thing. It, there were very rarely we would get this we'd get this envelope that all it had inside was a slip that said e-file so you still had to like file it but then mail in the fact that you'd e-filed or something like that so yeah everything was on paper so we just it was our job to just sort them and and <laughs> then send them on to the the people who would actually analyze them
2: Greg you might know this are there still spaces i don't know why just because you've had 472 different <laughs> jobs but are there offices that still have those that tube system, you know, where you'd send papers <laughs> through the sucky tube? I, you know
1: what? We were talking in like office
2: towers maybe. Or?
1: I don't know. I I saw that somewhere not that long ago, but I can't remember where I was. And we were talking about field trips yeah. last mm-hmm. week, and I mentioned the the, yes, the Winnipeg the Tribune. Tribune. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's been gone for a long time, but I did see those not that long ago. Um oh, Costco has them. No. Yes. And maybe they've taken them out now, but that's the last place I saw them was at Costco, is that they would uh, you know, put stacks and stacks of cash in the tube to get it into their sort of central depository there. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe they don't do that anymore, but that's the last place I saw those vacuum uh, tube setups. But I feel like I saw it somewhere else. Anyway, I digress. The best summer job I ever had was working for my uncle. It would have been like before I was done high school so it was like 84 85 86 and he was renovating the Dakota Hotel the whole lobby and everything a summer long job he was a builder and so he asked if, if I wanted to work for the summer it was a, he paid me a 100 bucks a day back in the mid 1980s he said now some days we'll work 6 hours some days we'll work 8 but some days we'll work 10 11 12 13 hours are you cool with that i said absolutely so that was that was like if I do the math, that might have been the best paying job I've ever had. Really? Yeah, maybe hundred bucks a day in nineteen eighty five, nineteen eighty six. Yeah. Wow, that was a lot <laughs> of money back sad. then.
2: That should make you really sad right now. Well,
1: you I peaked, am.
2: You peaked in nineteen eighty
1: five. Oh, and so many things, Loren. You have no <laughs> idea.
0: <laughs> that list is long. $100 in 1985 is equivalent in purchasing power to about $282.65 today. Uh, let me just see value of 1985 Canadian dollars. Uh, looks like it would be $240. $240. Oh,
2: that's not as much as I thought. Well,
1: Anyway, doing some math in my head and I'm,
2: I'm, I'm kind of sad
1: now. <laughs> <laughs> like you suggested, Loren. Yeah, that's nothing like peaking before you hit puberty or at the same time as you're hitting it. That's just awesome. Great.
0: (laughs) We just wanted to quickly share this story with you because we thought this was neat. The city of Winnipeg looking to its schools to come up with new ideas to revitalize our downtown. Global's Catherine Dornian has more on how students are using a popular game to imagine the future.
7: In April, the city put out a call to Winnipeg's youth to help design downtown. And the kids responded, building their ideas one pixelated block at a time.
3: We saw a lot of students who were looking at creating green space.
0: A lot of students with some intriguing ideas about how to help people who have uh, houseless issues. A lot of focus around uh, basketball courts and recreation.
7: Level Up Winnipeg saw the city partner with Microsoft. They challenged students to try urban design in Minecraft, the popular video game in which nearly anything can be built. Within a pre-made Winnipeg in the game, they could create what they think downtown needs for the future. Max Kobe, a grade 8 student from a Cull George McDowell, had an idea for a community greenhouse by the forks where anyone who needs it can get food.
0: The big question was it has to be connected, equitable, and sustainable. So uh, we really tried to fit that into everything.
7: But these ideas won't just live in the game. According to city planner Karen Kleber, Some of these builds could end up in Center Plan 2050 and even built in the real world. We are taking these students' ideas and we are going to be coding them and looking at them to see what youth of today want because we want to build and we want to make sure that the city is a city that they want to stay in. Exciting not just to potential future architects like Macy.
3: I'd freak out, tell my friends, tell my family, tell anyone near me at that point.
7: But to a city looking to evolve and grow along with its youth. Catherine Dornian. Global
2: news cool idea and i love the idea too that it's you know you want to create these great spaces but if you build something within your city do you want to stick around and see how it grows right does that actually help attract you to staying into that space and it just might
1: engagement it's all about engagement and an attachment i think you know, for me it's been sport and the uh, the jets and the bombers since i was a little kid that you know had me fall in love with winnipeg I'm sure that's the core of my connection to the city. And then and then when you purchase a house, you obviously are tied a little bit closer to a city. But I like the idea of if you're involved with what the future might look like. Yeah, I'm not saying all of them, but I, yeah, I think it's a worthwhile exercise. And Minecraft's awesome, by the way, if you've never tried it.
0: You can read more on that at CJOB.com. And by the way,
1: we have somebody point out where pneumatic tubes, the sucky tubes still exist. I got a text message. Somebody said, uh, one of my friends said uh, Cinnaboy Downs and the hospitals maybe still have them. Some people saying they definitely do have them.
2: So let's rephrase the question. Where can I go where I get to try them? (laughs) I don't think the hospital is going to let me do it. I don't think Costco is going to let me shoot up stacks of cash. So... (laughs) Rephrase. Where can I try one of these tubes?
1: Darren Dunn. Send a boy down. I'll send you his number.
0: (laughs) It is Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. We are asking you at 204-780-6868 as part of the discussion on summer businesses or seasonal businesses having a tough time finding staff. Some of them having a tough time finding staff. If you could pick a part-time job, what would that be? And Andrea P., for example, one of our runners up here, says my dream part-time job is to be an usher at Canada Life Centre. Free hockey, free concerts. I got to tell you, I when I when like sometimes when I go to these events, I'll just look around at the ushers and see them all looking at the audience doing their job, whether it's an usher or a security guard. Good point. And I wonder, like, how the heck do you manage to not pay attention to the action,
1: have it to your back. That would be torture for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, if that was the job description, I, I would do like you did at that Perkins interview. I just, yeah, this is not for me. This is not going to work.
2: Not to mention, I, I feel like it'd be, you know, it'd be fun to interact. would be fun to be at the games and hear the music and all the rest. But then there would be an issue with the idea of at some point in the night, people get unruly, you mm-hmm. know? I maybe mean, yeah, I would like that. I don't know. Maybe I would enjoy a little a little bouncer banter action. With, with, yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Like workout, exercise my frustrations. All right, moron.
0: on first, Loren's yelling at kids on the Tinker Town train, <laughs> and now she's yelling at patrons at Canada Life <laughs> Center. Well, don't like mess der- with McNabb.
2: Basically, the credentials should should be who do I get to yell at? <laughs>
1: And how often? Well, don't go to the children's museum and yell at people. One of our listeners says you can try those pneumatic tubes there. They've got uh, oh. balls and stuff that you can uh, you can. I, I think I painted myself into a corner. There are pneumatic I, tubes I, I, at the children's <laughs> museum. <laughs> I got it. i going to try them out
2: there, okay? I actually, after chaperoning last week, I thought it'd be fun to do a museum gig where you show kids around. They have such awesome questions. Like, I'd love to do that with kids where you'd have them in groups, but you only have them for an hour, you know, yeah. or so. I mean, the things that I got asked, I was like, oh boy, someone's mom is phoning me tonight because I did not answer that correctly.
0: <laughs> Another runner-up, Simon S., who says, up until recently, I had... The best part-time job ever. I delivered legal marijuana to customers around the city. My shifts were never more than three hours. The tips were amazing. Soccer moms tip very well, says Simon S. And no one was ever upset when the weed man knocked on their door. Unfortunately, some stoners have a hard time remembering they can get their weed delivered to them. So we just recently had to shut down the business Ah, due to lack of orders. So Simon, that sucks. That's too bad. Maybe there's a way to resurrect that uh, endeavor. But uh Loren, Daryl F is our winner today.
2: It was just I never thought of this. My retirement job or part-time job, Daryl says, would be driving the Tundra buggy in Churchill. Oh I close man. second, driving a monster truck. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's about as close as you could get. Yeah. You know, really, that tundra buggy is like a monster truck. That would be a lot of fun. It would. And yeah. Because yeah.
2: everyone's in a good mood. Yeah. Right? You're just looking sure. at animals. Unless, unless, like you unless, you unless you don't find them. Unless you don't get see to yell people. there. Yes. Sit down. Down in the back. So many opportunities. We're back opportunities. to
1: this. I would imagine Loren it. wants a job where she can order people around. <laughs> That's really what it's <laughs> boiling down to.
0: I'd imagine the tips on the Tundra Buggy are pretty good, yes. too, because well, if you can afford to be on the Tundra Buggy in Churchill. Pretty healthy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We thank you all for your feedback. Daryl takes the prize, going to Dogman the Musical, November 10th, uh, Centennial Concert Hall. I was going to say Convention Center, Canada Life Center. Too many C's. Right now, as we celebrate the end of the NHL season last night, at long last, and the impact of the Manitobans, whom are part of the Vegas Golden Knights organization, we want to talk about another popular game which Manitobans love to play also on ice
2: So we get, we acknowledge that mid-June, maybe not be prime curling season but we want to tee up an event coming up in September that's named for a man who had really a huge, a tremendous impact on the game of curling in our province. His voice his curling reports, they were synonymous with CJOB for years.
5: Una Royal number four, after East York, Aviemore, and Quebec City. The top junior curlers in the world, hailing from 10 countries, will try for the honors that went to Ulston, Gausel, and Jenkins in three previous editions. Canada and Sweden have dominated this event, but each year there's been a threat from Norway, the United States, or Scotland. And each year the caliber of curling has grown better and better.
1: So that's a piece recapping the 1978 Uniroyal World Junior Men's Championship. The voice is that of none other than the late, great Bob Picken. Our next guest is a man who has worked tirelessly on behalf of the Roaring Game in our province. We welcome to the start Curling Canada Hall of Famer Resby
5: Coots. Good morning, Resby. Well, good morning. Wow, what a what a wonderful voice clip. Uh, that uh, creates such memories.
1: Well, Bob Pickens, you know, we talk about the, the tuck delivery and the variety of ways you can deliver a rock on a curling sheet, Resby, but Bob Pickens' delivery was smooth as silk, and his contributions to the game are absolutely iconic. Talk about Bob Pickens and his connection to curling.
5: Well, you know, the first thing that I think of is that so many people think of Bob as that great broadcaster, and you talked about his delivery, uh, he was a great curler as well. He, uh, uh, 1963, lost the Manitoba final, would have played in the briar, but for uh, that final game loss. So, uh, you know, like so many of us who uh, have spent our time volunteering, he uh, he would rather have been on the ice playing, and he spent a lot of time on the ice, but, but he was... Uh, he was iconic in in his delivery and his presentation. Uh, media guys, younger guys, and, and I wasn't that much younger, but but he was a mentor to all of us. Uh, he was a source of information. Uh, uh, he was just an incredible volunteer servant of the sport of curling.
2: So we want to talk a bit more, Resby, about the open event that's uh, been created in Bob's memory and and then change in venue. But let's can we talk about your on ice career and how it got its start because. A little birdie told us the curling rink you learned the game on. And I think I know this to be true. Had one sheet in a town that doesn't exist anymore. Is that right? Do we have that well, right? Well, it's yes.
5: Yeah, it's like so many of the of the small towns of uh, across Prairie Canada, the uh, there was a reason for it to exist in the early part of the last century, and gradually it disappeared. But but one of the things that happened, uh, um, the uh, it had a it had a one sheet curling rink. Uh, uh, my dad, uh, you, who you had met, Lauren, uh, uh, actually uh, helped, as a volunteer in the community, build a curling rink, a one-sheeter, um, after the war, uh, the Second World War, the, the veterans came home, there was a need in the community for recreation, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and, and curling was such an important part of community recreation in that era. Um, so they built a one-sheet curling rink, and, and yes, I, I threw my first curling rocks in, in that one-sheeter in Elva, Manitoba, and, uh, um, you know, learned to love the game, uh, learned to honor the game uh, at my dad's, uh, uh, you know, um, tutelage, and, and then carrying on forward, uh, I've had tremendous opportunities, including working with guys like Bob and and media people even around the world.
2: I it? talked to a lot, I just wanted to, just one second, I talked to a lot of people in my career at Resby, but some of my favorite conversations were with George Coutts, so uh, I thank you for that memory. And Velma, was that, do I have that right? Verma? Velma. Velma Velva. Elva. Oh, yes. Elva.
5: Elva. There's, There's an Elma in eastern Manitoba. There was an Elva in southwestern Manitoba.
1: Yeah, dangerously close to Saskatchewan, Resby. Dangerously. Are you uh, a Blue Bomber or a Rough Riders <laughs> fan? I just go... you, you
5: know what? Growing up down there in southwestern Manitoba, we were closer to Regina, and I'll confess to having had... An early affection for uh, the Rough Riders, and and there's a lot of folks still down in uh, in that southwest corner who uh, who would call themselves rider fans, but but no, I uh, I transferred uh, quite early in life into being a bomber fan right. back in the uh, Holy Dinah, the the uh, Kenny Plane, uh, Jim Van Pelt. There's a name you haven't heard for a long time. Back in that era, I became a a bombers fan.
1: I thought we were going to have to have technical issues there all of a sudden. <laughs>
0: So Resby, it's um, Brett McGarry here. Just yeah, curious Brett. to know about the, you know, when you look at any major curling tournament that takes place in this country, there's always a Manitoba team in the mix, especially on the women's side, multiple Manitoba teams, typically in the mix. So just, can you tell us like, what's your opinion or your your uh, analysis of the the state of the health of the game in Manitoba right now?
5: Well, like so many uh, activities, there are some challenges. There are so many things to do. And you go back to that time frame that I was talking about when I was learning the game. Frankly, there wasn't very much else to do in in rural, particularly rural Western Canada, but in, in even in Winnipeg. And, and curling became a very popular, very big sport, and, and we became very, very good at it. The, the legacy carried on into the end of the previous century and, and has carried on since um, the focus on on uh, you know, the Olympics and the high performance, in many ways, has been a very good thing. And some would argue it's been a very bad thing because it has focused attention at the at the competitive level. But but we need that uh, that elite competition. Uh, uh, you know the Anderson teams and and the Dunstones and all of the rest of the of the current crop. Uh, to serve as as examples and roles, role models for those kids who want to get there, and then the uh, um, those who don't who want to just play it as a recreational sport, it's still uh, it's still got lots of uh, of opportunities there, and and that's actually one of the reasons why we got into the pick and open bondspiel concept was uh, a, a tribute to Bob Pickens' uh, memory and legacy, but but to honor that legacy. Through our junior legacy fund and and uh, over the the first uh, four this is actually five years since we last bought, lost Bob um, over the first four years we 've put uh, forty five hundred dollars in in grants into junior programs around the province and and hope to continue to do that uh, good time into the future.
1: So the Thistle was my club. I used to, uh, on Thursday nights, my buddy Blaine Clapham and I would uh, haul the beer up those narrow, narrow stairs up to the bar at the Thistle on Minto Street before, well before it burnt down. And then, of course, the thistle moved over uh, a little bit closer to Arlington on Burnell. Well, now the thistle then became the, the Valor Road or something similar, or Valor Road became the thistle. The point is, that's gone now as well, Resby. So uh, that's where that this event took place for its first four iterations. Tell us where you're moving.
5: Well, yeah, the, uh, the Valor Road Curling Club uh, was Bob Pickens' home club. Uh, the name uh, Pickens of Valor Road... Uh, uh, went through the competitive ranks during that time frame that I talked about and and so we we wanted to honor Bob in the club that he was part of and and after uh, uh changed to thistle, Bob became very much of a, a thistle curling club volunteer so so it was appropriate for us to run the uh the inaugural events uh, uh at the old uh valor road thistle club but uh, uh with its closure not opening again next fall, granite has very graciously um come forward and said that they would provide the ice for us and and that's appropriate given that uh, Granite and Thistle were the two original uh, Winnipeg curling clubs uh, uh the two that actually inaugurated the uh, the Manitoba Curling Association by inviting some other clubs to come to a meeting to start the association so so Granite wanted to to uh you know maybe honor uh, the legacy of Thistle a little bit but certainly to honor the the legacy and the memory of Bob Picken and uh, and so uh, they're providing the ice. We're going to uh, run the uh, the Open Masters Bonspiel, the first pick-and-open, we're calling it. We've rebranded uh, as we move over to Granite. And, and so the pick-and-open Masters uh, for teams uh, 60 years of age and over, uh, September 26th to 29th this fall.
1: I just missed it. Just where... missed it. Hello? Go ahead, Go ahead. Ryan. I was just
2: going to ask, where can we go for more information? Is there a website?
5: Yeah, well, uh, we don't have a specific website, but uh, our bonspiel information is all included on the Granite Curling Club website, uh, granitecurlingclub.ca. And then there's a at the across the top there's an index uh, where it says bonspiels, and there's a drop down from bonspiels, and uh, and the Pick and Open Masters bonspiel is incorporated under that at the granitecurlingclub.ca. And your website, Resby. My out uh, thecurler.com, I used to be pretty active. Uh, summertime, I don't uh, do so much anymore, so it's, uh, it's been a bit languishing uh, the last week or two, but I'll, uh, now that we've, we've launched the Pick and Open, I'll be putting up uh, the information on my own, thecurler.com website, and, uh, and we're looking forward to the fall.
0: Curling Canada Hall of Famer Resby Coots joining us live on 680 CJOB to talk about the Bob Pick and Open Masters Bond Spiel coming a bit later this year. Thank you so much, Resby. You Thank you. Appreciate the, the time. The event will once again be held September 26th to September 29th at the Granite Curling Club. Still remember Bob calling in to do his reports. Bob picking for Saper Agencies, Kingsbury
1: at McPhillips. Just a silky smooth voice. <laughs> oh, just uh, nothing like it. And and do you remember when CJOB would actually broadcast the provincial championship on the radio? Rock mm-hmm. by rock, play by play coverage. Like, are you kidding me? Bob that's a
2: great radio uh sport though you can really follow along right in terms of how it goes like i'd listen to that all day long we should we should bring that back you and i could host i could just yell things and you would know the game brett would do some color
0: i'd just be up in the snack shack
2: you could whatever. interview people from like the briar patch like the beer place you know like live now in the beer gardens brett McGarry.
0: <laughs> could be fun could be disastrous
7: <laughs>
2: i
0: think know. it's worth a
7: try
2: <laughs>